0: So this morning we're going to be continuing in Luke chapter six Luke chapter six so in the New Testament you go to Matthew Mark, and then after that is Luke and then we're going to be in chapter six while you're doing that let's uh let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning uh Lord we come before you again this morning in uh in, in thankfulness again for bringing us all here uh Just be able to to sit at your feet and hear your word, Lord. Um, I pray that you will speak powerfully this morning, that your spirit will flow uh, throughout this room, Lord. Um, Soften hearts and minds, Lord, so that everyone will receive what you have to say, Lord. Um, Use me to speak truth to power, Lord. Um, And use me just to to tell people, to speak to people, and let them know what you want them to know, Lord. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So now, for the next couple weeks, we're going to be covering a section in this gospel that many have called the Sermon on the Plain. Now, although there are similarities to the Sermon on the Mount... Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 Matthew chapter 7 nine. I want to just quickly point out some differences here you'll see this this is much better. it was given at a different location and possibly presented on a different occasion also the sermon in Matthew had blessings but no woes this one here has both so the question is, why would Jesus preach and teach a message that was almost exactly the same? Well, perhaps Jesus understood that, re- that repetition is the mother of learning. In other words, again, if you truly want to understand something, you may have to hear it and study it over and over again. As a student of the Bible, never think that you know enough about a portion of the of the word of the bible to never need to study it again because see the question isn't how much you know but how well you know it the message jesus had previously given on the mount and now gives in the plain is the message of the king It was a message meant to drive people to the realization that they couldn't keep it, a message meant to drive people to the place of brokenness, a message meant to drive people to the cross. Therefore, the only conclusion that can be drawn from the Sermon on the Mount and the message on the plain is not, these are good words to live by, but this standard, here is impossible. Thus, if you claim to understand its meaning, there's no way you can honestly say, I'm pretty good, but I'll try harder. No, what you'd be saying is, I'm a sinner in desperate need of a savior. Then once you've realized you can't keep this standard on your own, once you're saved, the message becomes helpful. As, as it helps you to delineate the ways in which the spirit desires to work in you. Jesus felt this sermon was so significant that he pretty much repeated it verbatim. You see, we must keep in mind that within the next couple of years, he would die. He would die on the cross. He would be buried in a tomb, and he'd rise again on the third day. And after that, he returned back to heaven. So these messages now were getting urgent. They were getting important. And he needed to make sure they understood it. The good news of free salvation had to go out into the world because the redemption of mankind depended on hearing the message. So, what I hope you'll see in this message is indeed the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of humanity. Therefore, as we go through it, let's simply read it and allow the message of the kingdom impact us afresh. Again, we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start off in verse 20. Verse twenty, And the word of God says, Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry, because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy, take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat their prophets. But woe to those, to you who are rich, for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat their false prophets. Now, although Jesus directed his teaching at his disciples, verse 17 tells us that a great number of people were also listening in as well. Thus, this was applicable to everyone there, and now to us as readers, as we now read his words. This applies to us as well. He begins with four blessings that underline the mission he set out in chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. The first focus, the focus of his first blessing was poverty. There he says, blessed are you who are poor. Now, I want to point out a couple things here. When we see the word blessed in these verses Greek is being happy in the truest and purest way, in the godliest way. Not merely just being comfortable or entertained at the moment, it's truly happy regardless of the circumstance. Barclay puts it like this, it, de- it describes that joy which has its secret within itself, that joy which is serene and untouchable and self-contained, that joy which is complete of all the chances and changes in life. And secondly, I want you to notice that it doesn't say blessed are the poor, but blessed are you who are poor. Now, although those uh, who've chosen to be poor for the sake of the gospel are blessed. There is a blessing to those who have been called to forsake everything and go out and share uh, the gospel and, and, and you know just or or share to those who who don't have any. I mean, if you've been called for that, yes, there's a blessing to that. But here, he isn't necessarily speaking about material or physical or financial poverty rather the poverty jesus had most in mind was its poverty of this in the spirit or poverty of spirit and that was exactly how we phrased it in the sermon recorded in matthew chapter 5. see the poor in spirit recognize they have no spiritual assets and are spiritually bankrupt Additionally, poverty of spirit cannot be artificially induced by self-hatred. It comes as the Holy Spirit works in our heart, and we respond to him. Everyone can start here. It isn't first blessed, or the pure, or or the holy, or the spiritual, or the wonderful. It says blessed. Blessed are you who are poor. Everyone can be poor in spirit. Spurgeon once said, now what I have, not what I have, but what I have not, is the first point of contact between my soul and God. Now, why are they blessed? Because the kingdom of God is yours. This here is the reward for those who are poor in spirit. Therefore, poverty of spirit is an absolute prerequisite for receiving the kingdom. Because as long as we keep illusions about our own spiritual resources, we will never receive from God what we absolutely need. Next blessing was focused on hunger. Blessed are you who are now hungry. Again, this doesn't mean that everyone suffering from malnourishment or everyone who, you know, is is, is suffering from um, not being hungry around the world are blessed. What Jesus was describing is the blessed is the blessedness of those who focus on him and his righteousness like a hungry man focuses on food. This passion is real, just like hunger is real. This passion is natural, like hunger is natural in a healthy person. This passion is intense, just like hunger is. This passion can be painful, just like real hunger, hunger can cause pain. This passion is a driving force, just like hunger can drive a man. This passion is a sign of health, just like hunger shows health. And Matthew recorded, a, a, uh, recorded Jesus giving a similar message and recorded Jesus with these, war, with these words, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Since Jesus spoke of more than physical hunger, his sermon in Luke implies of this kind of longing. Hunger for righteousness may express itself in several ways. A man longs to have a righteous nature a man wants to be sanctified to be made more holy and when i say man i also want to just say i'm also including women here a man longs to continue in god's righteousness a man longs to see righteousness promoted in the world so why are they blessed because you will be filled Jesus here promises to, promises to fill those who are spiritually hungry with as much as they could eat. Now, those of us who have been filled in this way know that we just want more. We want more to be filled, to be filled more. And, and that's what's just so amazing about what God does. And if you've never had that, that feeling, again, he, he will do it. I really believe that he will do it. Just, you got to tell him, Lord, fill me. I know that every time I'm, I'm, I'm here worshiping, I'm filled, I'm satisfied, but yet I want more. You know, when I'm, when I'm praying on my own or when I'm out working on one of those quiet nights, and I spend time with the Lord, and he ministers to me, and he fills me, and I just want more. And I hope that's your heart as well. You know, that when He does fill you, you just want more of Him. And He will, He will satisfy you, and and then some. The third blessing is focus on those who weep now. Not that sorrow is in itself a blessing the weeping of unsaved people has no lasting benefit connected to it. Here, Jesus is speaking about tears that are shed for his sake. Tears for the lost. Tears for, as you look, seeing mankind just perishing. Tears over the divided. Impotent state, the impotent state of the church all sorrow endured in serving the Lord Jesus Christ seeing those that you care about and seeing how lost and broken they are and how just you you want to lead them to, to the Lord but they just don't want to and they just they want nothing to do with it and then when the Lord just has the answers to it all. Tears again. That that anguish, that pain of oh man, all these people. You ever go to the mall and just really just look around and wonder? Man, a lot of these people are going to hell. And it should grieve you inside. Because that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want to see all these people. Suffering in the torment of hell. He wants to be with them. He wants them to be with him in eternity. This morning is, godly, is the godly sorrow that produces repentance to salvation that Paul described in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Quoting Spurgeon again, he said, I do not believe in that faith which has not a tear in its eye when it looks to Jesus. Dry-eyed faith seems to me to be, to be bastard faith, not born in the spirit of God. Those who weep now are blessed because they will laugh. The grief and sorrow felt now will one day be turned to laughter when God comes back and makes everything right. It says in Psalm chapter 30 verse 5, weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. The fourth and final blessing here is focused on hatred, exclusion, and persecution for being a Christian. If you've been a Christian long enough, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, it's only a matter of time before you're hated, before you're not welcomed, or when you know, you're just being reviled, people are saying some nasty, mean things to you, or doing or want to harm you just for simply being in love and believing in Jesus Christ. You know, historical records show that it didn't take long for these words of Jesus to become true of his followers. Early in the church, Christians were accused of cannibalism because of the gross because of gross and deliberate misrepresentation of the practice of the Lord's Supper. They were accused of immorality because of gross deliberate misrepresentation of weekly of the weekly love feast in their private meetings. They were accused of revolutionary fanaticism because they believed that Jesus would return and there would be an apocalyptic end to history. They were accused of splitting families because when one marriage partner or parent became a Christian, there was often a change and division in the family. And they were accused of treason because they would not honor the Roman gods and participate in emperor worship. Now, um, n- not if, but when that happens, he says, "Rejoice in that day and leap for joy." What do you mean? I'm supposed to rejoice? And leap for joy when I'm being persecuted, when I'm being hated, when I'm being, no one wants to hang out with me. Shouldn't I be sad? Shouldn't I be angry? No, the Lord says, leap for joy. Again, only the Christian would know how to be happy when they're hated. See if someone really knows the Lord, they're unmoved by hate and persecution. Because the reward, they know their reward is great in heaven. It doesn't matter what's going on. I don't don't care about that they hate me. I don't care that they kill me. I know there's a reward waiting for me. It's something much greater than what's here and now. So, you know, I'm just going to continue sharing. I'm going to continue believing. I'm going to continue proclaiming Jesus that he died and he rose and now he's in heaven. I'm going to continue to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, regardless of what people say, what people do. If I get fired, if I get expelled from school, I'm just going to share my faith. I'm going to continue to believe. Rejoice again in that day and leap for joy. See, these people, these Christians, are also aware that they're not alone. Many of the prophets in the Old Testament were treated in the same way. You look at any story in the Bible, in in the Old Testament, about speaking about one of the prophets, and you'll see that many of them were mistreated. Many of them were treated badly. A lot of them were killed. All because they would not waver, because they wouldn't compromise. They knew what was true, and they believed it with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. And regardless of what people threw at them, what people said, they continued to believe, and they continued to hold on to their faith. And isn't that great that you are now counted? If you're you're suffering, that you're counted now among that group. Those prophets, you're basically on the same level as them. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Let me share this last point on these four Beatitudes. The key to understanding them is found in the phrase, because of the Son of Man. Things that in themselves would be a curse become a blessing when willingly endured for him. But the motive must be love for Christ. Otherwise, the most heroic sacrifices are worthless. It's got to be for the love of Christ, for the glory of God, that you do all things. Even if you're suffering, even if you're being burned at the stake, even if... You know, if you're you're captured by terrorists and you're you're, they're about to do something horrible to you. You're always it's it's for the love of Christ. It's for the glory of God. That you are being possibly killed just because you're a Christian. That is heroic. That makes it all worth it. These four blessings describe the ideal person in the kingdom of God. The one who lives sacrificiously, unyielding, soberly, and enduringly. God promises a special, again, let me say that again, God promises a special reward for all those who are faithful to him. So, my friends, so, my brothers and sisters in Christ, know this, believe this, the best is yet to come. This isn't it. The best is yet to come. However, now, the Lord then shares that the blessed life, the blessed life, has a counterpart, the woeful life. The Greek word for woe reflects a situation of horror, disaster, and calamity. Such awaits the rich, the one who has never known hunger, the person who has all the reason in the world to laugh, the individual who sits on top of the social ladder, hearing nothing but praises and adoration. And tragically, these are the very ones who are seen as the most successful and and influential in our world today they're up there they're the most popular people that on tv and politics whatever it may be and they have nothing to worry about they're just their bellies are full they have all the money in the world and and these are the ones who have the most to worry about. Now all four of these woes share a common truth. You take what you want from life and pay for it. And you pay for it. If you want immediate wealth, fullness, laughter, and popularity, you can get it. But there's a price to pay. That is all you will get. And Jesus didn't say that these things were wrong. He said being satisfied with them is its own judgment. A gentleman by the name of H.H. Farmer wrote that, wrote this to Jesus. The terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment but that you are not not that you do not achieve what you want but that you do so here's the thing church when people are satisfied with the lesser things of life the good instead of the best then their successes add up only to failures. Sadly, these, spirit, these people are spiritually bankrupt and don't even realize it. Life, my friends and this is for you young men, this is and women, this is an important thing to, to know and understand. Life is built on character. And character is built on decisions. But decisions are based on values. And values must be accepted by faith. Let me give you an example. Moses made his life-changing decisions on the basis of values that other people thought were foolish. But in Hebrews chapter 11, what are we told? God honored his faith. And God will honor yours too when your choices, when your decisions are made with eternity's values in view. Regardless of what your friends, regardless of what people are saying, and if they think you're dumb for for doing the right thing when everyone else is doing the wrong thing. When your view is on eternity and not on the here and now that will, again, it it changes everything. God is happy with that. The Lord is pleased with that. It can be very easy and tempting to cheat on their taxes and to get an extra few thousand dollars. God is looking. He knows you are compromising again you got to be careful about these choices and decisions you make, cheating in school, you know not you know, claiming hours at work that you didn't work, stealing. Again, base your decisions, your choices with eternity's view, because that pleases the Lord. And not only that, it makes you a man, makes you a woman of integrity. And people will see that. And the good people, those who also know the Lord, they will honor that. You may think to yourself sometimes, well, you know, it's not worth it. It's not, you know, I try to be good. I try to you know, do well in school, do well at work, and it doesn't get me anywhere. Whether you know it or not, people are paying attention to your work ethic. To your study ethics. They see, but more importantly, God sees. God sees that you're doing the right thing, even when everyone isn't. And as I mentioned again, He's pleased with that. And at time, you'll see when, over time, that that work ethic that you've worked so hard to attain, it, it's going to lead somewhere. It's going to open up doors. you Just can't give up. Don't give up and just continue on that path, regardless of how hard it gets. However, if your values are on the here and now, on achieving riches, on achieving fame and power, then you've been warned here. You've been warned by Jesus to expect eventual starvation and grief. This is one of those examples again in the Bible where you can't say I didn't know. You just read it. I just read it to you. You can't say well I didn't know that you know I was gonna me being rich was eventually gonna make me poor and and now I had my belly full and now I'm hungry, you've been warned. If if your life is all about the here and now, if your goal is just to attain riches and to gain power, and, and this is what you're just gonna live for today, live for, is it, let me ask you, is eternity worth it? This life we live, let's say, let's say you live up to 90 years old. That is a speck of dust compared to eternity. Eternity. You know that big sideways eight they used to see in video games? Eternity. Is that really worth it to you? Eighty years. It's going to go by quick. I've relived half of that. I'm 43. Half of my life has already gone by and I want to say maybe 20, 25, 25 No, thirty years of that almost was wasted on pleasing the flesh, hurting people, and doing what I want to do. It wasn't until the Lord just completely reached out and, and, and made me, and I made me basically make a choice: continuing the path I was going, or. Reach out and grab a hold of him, that I finally understood, I finally got it, that this life is just going to go like that. And what matters most is eternity. Does eternity matter to you? Is that important to you? Say I don't know the percentage, but say a large part uh, of our population believes in an afterlife. if everything Jesus is saying here is correct, if he truly did rise from the grave, if he truly did is sitting up there at the right hand of God right now, then everything here, everything else is true. So if he says that there's only two places you'll end up when you die, what? will you choose will that matter is that, that is that important to you I know when I know the feeling when we're young we just you know life is good we live fast we think that nothing's going to happen but speak to anyone that's been there done that mm-hmm. has seen life has been to combat has seen death mm-hmm. know that life can be taken life is fragile can be taken right away and then what you thought you were going to live 80 90 years and now only living 25 20 years 30 years it's quick but eternity again matters again you've been warned james puts it this way in james chapter 5 verses 1 through 3 come now you rich people weep and wail over the miseries that are coming on you your wealth has rotted. Your clothes are mothy. Gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have stored treasure in the last days. The point he's making here is all that wealth that you accumulated. It's. That's what's going to eat you alive. You can't take it with you to eternity. Naked you come into this world, naked you're going to leave. You're not going to have anything. You're not going to take your cars. You're not going to take your gold, your silver. You're not going to take your iPhone. You're not going to take any of that stuff that you value. And when you stand before the Lord, And he's sitting there in his judgment seat he's going to judge you and there's no excuses none at all either you believe and you accepted him and you accepted his son or you didn't and the bible is clear that if you didn't there's a place reserved in hell for everyone who Rejected him who refused to believe in him to trust in him But if you have Man a glorious eternal home awaits you Where there is no weeping where there is no pain where there is no suffering It's hard to imagine a place like that When our whole lives we've just been used to some form of suffering, but it exists. I believe it the bible says it's it's true all these all the suffering right now it's it's hurtful and it's it sucks but you know eternity awaits and and it's it's going to make it it's going to seem when you get there it's going to seem like this is nothing So endure if you are, just endure. Ask the Lord for strength. Ask Him to help you. Come to Him on your knees. And I say, you know, if you need to sometimes just sprawl out before the Lord, just face down, and just ask Him to help you, to strengthen you. And He will. The point, I'm going I'm to stop there because you know, I didn't want to cover the next passage uh, too quickly and my time's running, running out, but the point of this passage is clear. People must make a decision as to their values and their priorities. All of us, me, you, people outside, all of us must make a choice to forsake some things in the pursuit of others. Now everyone isn't called to forsake wealth, to follow Christ, let me be clear about that. However, the Bible tells us that we're all to forsake the love of money. Life involves choices. Thus, we must choose what in life to pursue. But it's important to keep in mind that every choice has both benefits or blessings and a price to pay the gospel of jesus christ is the good news of a gift the gift of eternal life which is of infinite value to have to have it is worth the loss of anything else the price is that we must acknowledge our sins and trust only in Christ we must forsake all other gods and follow Christ alone if such a choice comes at the price of poverty poverty hunger sadness and rejection It's well worth it. And it is still blessed. May God grant that each of us may be disciples of our Lord, that we may find following him better than anything else this life has to offer. Jesus never minimized the cost of discipleship. He didn't need to because It is the pearl of great price. Intimacy with God is the greatest of all blessings. All other blessings are but trash in comparison. Again, may God's values and those of the gospel be ours as well. May that be our heart. May that be everything, that passion. And maybe we be passionate about that, maybe we hunger for that, for God's values, for his glory, for his his blessings. Again, it isn't the pursuit of riches that's wrong, but the pursuit of false riches. These words I'm about to say, these words of the Lord, to the Church of Laodicea, be a guide to us as well. In Revelation's chapter 3, verses 17 through 18, the Lord said this. The Lord said said this. For you say, "I am rich, I have become wealthy and nothing." And you don't realize you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment on your eyes so that you may see. Let us all pursue riches, but let those be riches which only the Lord can give. Let's close the word of prayer. Lord God, we we are truly humbled here, Lord. Right, this is this has definitely helped uh, us, many of us, to examine our own hearts, our own motives. May this passage, may this message challenge those who have never really thought about their lives and what they want out of it. And it just completely challenge them, Lord, and may they begin to see life through an eternal perspective. Lord, you're, you're trying to reach people are trying to tell them the truth. or may they be open to it and hear it and be radically transformed by it, Lord. If you're watching and listening and are in need of a savior, you know that you need Jesus Christ to come into your life and to forgive you of your sins you want to be born again, all you gotta do is simply ask. All you gotta do is simply reach out to him. Admit that you're a sinner. Confess him as Lord. Believe that he rose from the dead. He will forgive you of all your sins and wipe the slate clean And if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. So, wherever you're at, bow your head, close your eyes, pray this with, again, with just that passionate heart, with all sincerity. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I know that there's nothing good in and of myself, Lord. I believe you sent your son on to die for me for my sins on the cross and I accept that I believe that I believe that he died after three days he rose again is now sitting at the right hand of God So I lay my sins upon the cross now, Lord. And take it all away, Lord. Take away my sins. I accept your forgiveness. Now fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your love. Help me to see the world through your eyes. Thank you for what you've done, and thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray for those here that... uh, are at a crossroads. May they see your light and just be guided towards it, Lord. May they just see that you want what's best for them and that you want just to give them a life of joy, of happiness, even in a world, even though, even in the world that we're living in, in a world of suffering. Lord, may they just embrace you and see you and completely fall in love with you. The sufferings now are nothing compared to the joy of eternity, being in your kingdom. May everything again we do throughout this entire week be for your glory. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.